0: Good night, Winchester. I'm Lance Gunnar-Wines, and this is another episode of Late Nights with Lance, Winchester's favorite and only late night talk show. So I'm just going to jump right into it because I have a lot to talk about, uh, and I don't feel like doing a lengthy introduction as it gets longer as I speak. That's what she said. Uh, But this episode is dedicated to my best friend, Alex Pooner. So Alex, uh, this one's for you. And the other night, uh, I guess it was Sunday night or yeah, it was Sunday, early Sunday morning. Uh, so Saturday night at 1230 in the morning. I had just got done with SPAC night two. I was posting on my Instagram stories about how riveting and absolutely awesome and epic the night was. And Alex commented on one of my uh, stories. And this is what she said. She said, I want an entire podcast dedicated to Dave Matthews. I want to know how you got into this, I want to know about the songs that I should listen to if I'm a newer fan, and I want to know all about the concerts. So that's my request for a podcast. Of course in my mind I'm like, well I can talk about Dave for days on end, and my friends are unfortunately used to that, um, but I was down. So I sent her the love reaction, um, you know the heart emoji, and then I said that can certainly be done, and she left me on red. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and take that as a stamp of approval. Um, so I'm going to jump right into it because I don't really want to take time away from what I have to say. There's a lot, uh, you know, I want to do a brief history of the Dave Matthews Band, a brief history of their music, uh, and then get into my own story. And I did a, a rough cut of this earlier today, and just the history of the Dave Matthews Band, including their music, lasted about an hour and 41 minutes. Of course, number 41 um, An hour and 41 minutes to tell the history of the Dave Matthews Band and then the history of their discography. And I don't want to take that long, so I'm going to try to jump right into it and hopefully get some good shit out of it. So, the history of the Dave Matthews Band begins and ends with David John Matthews. So, David John Matthews uh, was born on January 9th of 1967 in Johannesburg, South Africa. That's right. Dave Matthews, for those who don't know, is South African. And his family uh, did end up leaving South Africa uh, uh, multiple times. He you know did return and then came back to uh, the United States after uh, a brief stint abroad. Um, but he pretty much grew up in South Africa and then in the United Kingdom and then in uh, the United States. And he was uh, he had two sisters. Uh, his older sister, was Anne, I believe was her name, Um, and she was unfortunately the victim of a murder-suicide. So unfortunately, Dave's older sister was killed by her husband, who later killed himself, and him and his younger sister, named Jane, uh, basically took over uh, as parents of uh, their two children. And so... A number of his songs, you'll know, will be dedicated to either one of his sisters. Um, and so anyway, um, I know just wanted to get that out there because, you know, it's important to talk about his life. His father died uh, when Dave was young. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he had cancer. Uh, he had lung cancer, I believe. And he passed away when Dave was only 10. And then his older sister, obviously, was killed by her husband. Uh, so Dave's had a pretty rough life. And he did. His family did flee. South Africa, uh, and what was going on there, the conflict there with the apartheid. Um, and a number of his songs are about his African heritage and the struggles of the native uh, people of Africa. And so, moving forward, Dave eventually moved back to Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, which is where he pretty much you know credits as his home. Um, he moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, because his family, his parents had lived there before he was born. I believe, with his older sister. Uh, so he had not actually lived there uh, prior, but his his family did. So he felt a connection to Charlottesville. Um, there, when he was, uh, I think, in his early 20s, late teens or early 20s, he started working at a restaurant called Miller's. And Miller's is a bar that's still in operation. It's a pretty fancy restaurant and bar. And occasionally, if you go in there, you'll see the members of the Dave Matthews Band. But back in the early 90s, late 80s and early 90s, you'd find the members of the Dave Matthews band prior to its uh, inception. Uh, So the members of the band met uh, at Miller's. I believe that a number of them were working there as bartenders and busboys and maybe a line cook. But uh, they all essentially met while working at this restaurant. And they found out that they were all, uh, you know, long story short, they found out that they were all essentially prodigies of music in their uh, respective instruments. And, you know, they called upon some other friends, a handful of guys who didn't work at Miller's but were close friends, and they established the Dave Matthews Band. Of course, the Dave Matthews Band, their first performance as a band was, I believe, in 1991, I think is what they credit it with. Uh, I think that's when they credited the band being founded. It was in 1991 at the Pink Warehouse in the warehouse district of Charlottesville. Now, the Pink Warehouse still stands today. I've been there a few times. I actually have a piece of its foundation that I keep with me in my car um, just to sort of tie me to my roots. And uh, they played a rooftop gig at the top of the Pink Warehouse for, I think, a private party where they had been contracted to play that night. And that was the first official show of the Dave Matthews Band. Um, Obviously, one of the most popular songs of the band is entitled Warehouse, and it's sort of about um, this figurative... Uh, space, sort of like a, uh, an imaginary version of the warehouse where dreams are made and hopes are built, and you sort of let go of your inhibitions, you let go of your worries, you let go of the things that are bothering you or burdening you, and you, you know, sort of free your mind and free your heart and get to your potential. That's sort of what Warehouse is about, um, and so that song is based off of the actual Warehouse, They also have another song called Rooftop, which came out later, and that's also alluding back to that same performance and sort of the growth of the band. So from there, they also played at a club uh, called Trax. It was Trax Nightclub, T-R-A-X, alluding to the railroad crossing at the Warehouse District, uh, and that sort of has some lore, some fan connotation I'll get into later. So, the band consists of a number of members, past and present, and I'm just going to run through these. Uh, you know, I had prepared some aids, but I don't need the aids. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, so, of the founding members, I'll just pretty much go down the list and talk a little bit about them. So, obviously, Dave Matthews uh, is the founding member of the Dave Matthews Band, uh, pretty creative, just as he uh, named some of his songs as the numbered uh, of the song that he's written. So 41, is called 41 because it was the 41st song that he had written. Uh, Same with 36 and 27, so on and so forth. Uh, So Dave Matthews, uh, he's the uh, lead vocalist, rhythm guitar, um, occasionally the ukulele uh, and the mandolin. Uh, So occasionally stringed instruments, mostly just his guitar uh, and the lead vocals, obviously. His guitars are actually made by Rockbridge, Of Charlottesville. They're handmade by his friend Brian, um, and they're beautiful guitars, uh, just to put that out there. Uh, After Dave, uh, one of the founding members was Leroy Moore, who played uh, saxophone and other winded instruments. Um, And Leroy unfortunately passed away in 2008 after complications resulting from an ATV accident at his farm in Charlottesville. I'll get into that a little bit later. But Leroy uh, is credited with writing the music to go or to accompany the lyrics that Dave had typically written. So that was pretty much his place in the band was he would play the saxophone. He would play the horn section, um, but he would also actually write the music to go with the lyrics that Dave had written. So it's just a little bit of interesting facto right there. Um, who would I go with next? Next, I would say, is Carter Beauford. Carter Beaufort is the drummer, and Dave Matthews always says, uh, my good friend Carter Beaufort on the drums. And he's drums, percussion, backing vocals. Um, If anyone's ever seen Carter and ever seen my stepfather, Bob, they look a lot alike, except for the fact that Carter is black. So um, I like to say that Carter, because they both have like this similar facial structure and similar, uh, especially in their cheeks and their smile, and they have kind eyes. And their facial hair has pretty much grayed out at this point. And I mean, they're both handsome men. So I always say that Carter is like a black Bob. And it's funny because they have a song, um, I think, that's that's titled that. I'm pretty sure it's titled Black Bob, uh, if I, I think so. Or it might be Bob Law. No, it's Bob Law, I think. Um, anyway, not really important, just a little if, in case you're ever like, hey, is that Carter Beaufort? Just think of my stepfather, but imagine him as a black man. Um, <laughs> and Carter does drums, percussions. He actually went to school uh, here in Winchester at Shenandoah University. Shenandoah has a uh, world-renowned conservatory, and he studied music here and then later moved down to Charlottesville where he met the guys, and the rest is history. Uh, let's see. After him, who's next on the group? Um, After that would be Boyd Tinsley, I believe, was a... An, an, an additional, uh, member of the band at the time. So Boyd, uh, played the violin. Uh, he also played, I think the mandolin as well. And he did backing vocals. Uh, and Boyd is unfortunately no longer with the band. Um, him and the band parted ways after some accusations of sexual misconduct with another band that he, uh, was a sponsor of came to light. So, These allegations came forward. These gentlemen came forward uh, accusing Boyd of sexual misconduct sexual harassment uh, as a result of uh, essentially managing and sponsoring their band, a group of younger men. Uh, And the band decided that it was in their best interest to move forward without Boyd Tinsley at the violin. And of course, this all happened in 2018, or at least it came to light in 2018, so this is pretty recent. Um... And so after him, uh, who would be next? Tim. Tim Reynolds uh, actually isn't credited with joining the band permanently until sometime in the 2000s, I, I think, like 2000, I want to say like 2005 maybe, um, which is surprising because most, if not all, of the recordings of the Dave Matthews Band include Tim Reynolds as lead guitar, right? So Tim is the lead guitar player. Um But he was typically noted as a guest in most of their performances and studio recordings. Uh, He didn't, you know, I guess, give up his own music career to be a part of the Dave Matthews Band until the early 2000s. Um, But you can't imagine, there's no Dave Matthews Band without Tim. Uh, There's no Dave without Tim, honestly, because they actually go out and do acoustic shows. They used to tour just Dave and Tim acoustically, and those are some of the best performances that you'd ever hear. So that's Tim. Who else is next? Uh, Rashawn Ross plays the trumpet. Uh, he came a little bit later as well. That's what she said. Uh, but Rashawn Ross plays the trumpet. He's an, an amazing trumpet player. I've seen him play two at one time. Um, and I just love... He has such a great personality on stage. It's just so much fun. Um, and then after Rashawn, there's Jeff Coffin. And Jeff is the, sa- the current saxophone player. He, you know, I mean... Now you can't imagine the Dave Matthews Band without Jeff, but he joined the band after Leroy's death. So he essentially took over Leroy as the saxophone player for the band after Leroy passed away. And um, Jeff is pretty recognizable. Uh, he has the like a long, stringy, kind of white-gray beard, uh, like Soul Patch. That's pretty long. He's a white guy, uh, and he just really jams. He's the photographer friend of the group, so a lot of the photos of the band that you see are him taking them. Uh, it's really sweet. He just he loves them to death. Like you can tell, you can tell that. I mean, they all love each other. They're all one big family. They've been a family for thirty years. Um, I mean, pretty much Dave's only family, honestly. Uh, sadly, and you just see it in how they they interact with each other. But you can tell that Jeff truly feels just happy to be there. Um, so yeah, I love Jeff. Uh, Stefan Lasard on bass guitar. So Stephane, uh, I believe is the youngest, or at, for the majority of the band's, um, I guess, career. I think that Stefan was the youngest member because uh, he was only a teenager when he joined. But he plays bass, and he, uh, I think, he was like a busboy or something at Miller's, and they were like, "Hey, like, we're forming this band," and he, his whole life has just been the Dave Matthews Band, which I, I feel him. Um, So yeah, Stefan on bass guitar, and then I'm trying to think if I've gotten to everyone except for the new member. So let's see, Dave, Tim, Carter, Leroy, Jeff, Rashawn, Stefan, and then the newest member of the band is Buddy Strong. Buddy Strong plays the keyboards, the pianos, uh, and does backing vocals, and he, so when Boyd left the band... A lot of people were wondering if they were going to find a new violin player, a new string player, or you know what they were going to do. Essentially, a lot of people didn't think that the Dave Matthews Band could go on without a violin player. Which, you know, as much as I love all the members of the band, as long as Dave's around, there's going to be a Dave Matthews Band, right? Um, but instead of finding another violin player, who I nominated my friend Lauren, uh, <laughs> they went and they found a piano player. And Buddy is is young. He's vivacious, uh, so full of life, so full of energy. Um, his name's Buddy Strong, and if you looked at him, that's what you would call him because he's super kind, like your buddy, and he's super jacked, like he's strong. So Buddy Strong is a pretty fitting name. Um, and strapping young lad, if you will. And he, uh, you know, I think people were really nervous, and I think people were waiting to see how Dave would react playing with him. And turns out they have great chemistry, and it's almost like, He has been there since 1991 when he was probably like, you know, five years old. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much the whole band. Um, I'm trying to think if I miss anyone. I don't think I I have. Um, And, yeah, so moving on from there, I'm just going to go into uh, some of the albums. I'm just going to go over uh, just some some basic info real quick. I'm not going to get into anything too deep. um, And then we'll get into my story because we're at 16 minutes. I'm pretty confident with that. Uh, So the first album that they released, a studio album, I should say, is Under the Table and Dreaming. And Under the Table and Dreaming was released on September 27th of 1994. Uh, It was uh, recorded uh, under the label of RCA, which is essentially Sony. Um, Its peak, or its debut and peak chart performance was the 11th position, so its highest chart spot was uh, number 11, uh, and it has actually gone uh, six times platinum. So, that's pretty good. Uh, it's, I think it remains their, um, I don't know if it's their highest selling, but it's um, its one of them. I think the next one is actually their highest selling. Uh, extremely uh, popular, extremely well known. Um, a lot of the jams that people love just come from their first album. And, trying to think of the songs on the album that people would know. Uh, I'm pretty sure Warehouse is on that album. And What Would You Say, which features uh, Harmonica by John Popper of Blues Traveler. And John Popper uh, is actually credited a lot uh, with giving Dave Matthews his start. Uh, John Popper asked Dave Matthews and his band to open for Blues Traveler um, in the early 90s. Another part of that uh, story that I think is pretty funny is if you, like, you don't have to know the Dave Matthews band to know uh, so much, or um, what would you say, right? Like, that's one of those songs that you just kind of know. What would you say? Mom, it's my birthday. What would you say? Um, Every dog has his day. Every day has its way of being forgotten. What would you say? And um, so what happened was they were recording that song, and Dave Matthews had to go take a shit, So they're in the studio, uh, and I believe they recorded their first album in Woodstock, so pretty close to Winchester. Uh, And Dave Matthews went to go take a shit, and John Popper was like, hey, can I hop in the studio real quick? And anyone who knows John Popper knows that he is famous for wearing a fisherman's vest. But instead of the pockets being filled with lures and hooks and all that, uh, each pocket contains a different harmonica. He's like the best harmonica player in the world. He's also been on an episode of Roseanne, which, not really important. Um, rest in peace. And so he goes into the studio, right, and he just rips it on the harmonica. Like, absolutely just lights the place on fire. Burn, he burns down, <laughs> burn down the house, right? Like, straight up, he burns that, that bitch to the ground. Uh, pardon my French. And he's like, lighting it up, and he's like, all right, this is gonna be the opener. This is gonna be this is gonna be the intro, the interlude, and the outro <laughs> is this harmonica performance. And then he leaves the studio and gets back in his seat, like in the actual. Um, he leaves the actual booth and gets back into a seat in the studio. And Dave Matthews comes back uh, from taking a dump, and Dave is like, "What's everyone doing?" And they're like, "Bro, listen to this." And that was how they got the version of "What Would You Say." And the story goes that that whole. Scenario I just played out, him ripping the harmonica took between five to ten minutes. So Dave literally went to the bathroom, pulled his pants down, you know, dropped a deuce, you know, cut, pinched a loaf, wiped, put his pants back on, washed his hands, came back in the studio. And John Popper had lit up the whole place on the harmonica. And that is one of the most recognizable songs and one of the most recognizable intros in all of Dave Matthews. So interesting story there. Uh, He also tells a story, Dave tells a story about them having a little get-together after recording the album, and there was this record exec there who was a young, attractive woman, and Dave uh, and her had sort of snuck away from the party into the kitchen of the house where they were staying, and they were talking to each other, and Dave... I guess was, you know, I assume that he's like me and talks a lot. So he finally, you know, cuts off what he was saying, looks at this woman in the face, and apparently she has this huge fucking booger hanging out of her nose. And <laughs> he was like, listen, she was like hot. He, he compared her to some uh, late 80s actress that I didn't know. But he was like, man, this woman was so fucking hot. And she had this big ass green uh, straight out of a chlorine pool booger uh, drooping out of her nose. And he said that he, you know, was trying to get with this woman. And he said that what he did was he just reached up and he snatched it like right out of her nose. Uh, he picked the booger right out of her nose and then wiped it uh, underneath the edge of the kitchen counter. Uh, he didn't tell any more of the story. I don't know if he, uh, you know, if they went anywhere, or did anything. Cause he's married obviously and has kids. Uh, so he didn't end up with this woman, <laughs> but he said that, yeah, he said he was looking at her and she had this big ass booger hanging out of her nose and he just went and snatched that shit up and wiped it right underneath the counter. And it's one of m- my favorite Dave stories. And this all happened like an hour from where I live. Um, so it's a great story. He also shared a story one time, sorry to go off on a tangent where uh, when he was younger, he was, uh, swimming at his house at his pool and he had this girl over that he was a teenager and this girl, he was, like, madly in love with. She was gorgeous. He said that she had developed before he did, uh, whatever that means. Um, and she came out of the pool, like, in those 80s movies where, like, the hair's all, you know, soaked and, and, like, straight back and the water's coming up over, you know, like, their body or whatever, like, real, like, you know, like, sexy or whatever. He said that she was coming out of the pool, right, and he was super excited because he was a teenage boy and, and filled with hormones and whatnot. She came out of the pool, man, and her, like, upper lip was just covered in those, like, green, salty chlorine boogers. You know, like those real wet ones. And he said that he left. (laughs) He said that he had to leave. Uh, So, obviously, he matured a lot from a kid who uh, couldn't handle the boogers to just snatching them right out of people's noses. Uh, And this was obviously pre-COVID. He'd never do that now. (laughs) Uh, So, let's move on from there. (laughs) Here. Their second album is Crash, uh, and obviously the song, the main song from that is Crash Into Me. That album, again, uh, recorded under the label RCA, was released on April 30th of 1996. It um, debuted on the charts and peaked at number two, and it is currently their most successful, highest-selling album. It has gone a platinum. I don't have the uh, updated numbers, but at the time that I wrote this down, was uh, seven times platinum, so seven million copies. Pretty solid. Um, do I have any funny stories about Crash? Crash is one that people just go nuts for. Like people beg for the songs off of that album. Um, but I'll get into the songs later. I could go through a list of every song, but it would it would take hours because I think they they have at least performed like at, it has to be like 500, 600 songs, right? Um, So moving on from there, that was 96. Uh, Their next album was Before These Crowded Streets, which was released uh, almost two years to the day later, on April 28th of 1998. It debuted and peaked on the charts at number one. It was their first number one album. Uh, And it went platinum four times. Now this album is significant for a number of things. Uh, Of course, some of the songs are just absolute bangers. Um, The Stone and Halloween are on that album. And on the album, there's actually like this uh, Bella Fleck interlude between the Stone and Halloween. It's just absolutely stunning. Um, I think Don't Drink the Waters on that album, too. But uh, what I want to talk about real quick before I move on to their next generation of albums, um, once we get to like the new millennium, is before These Crowded Streets gave us the two logos of the Day Matthews Band. So when they were recording the album, uh, they were trying to figure out what they wanted the cover to be, what they wanted the artwork to be, because that was really important back then. Um, And so they obviously had a picture of a crowded street, which I'm pretty sure is New York. Um, And Dave's like, well, this is boring. So he takes, he picks up his coffee cup, takes a sip, and he sits it back down. And then he looks over at where his hand is, and he lifts up the cup a little bit, and the napkin's stuck to the bottom of the cup, and he pulls the napkin off, peels it off the bottom, and looks at the napkin. And on the napkin are these coffee rings, right, from where the, you know, drips and drops of coffee had run down the side of the cup and and made these rings. Um, And they're kind of, they're not exactly over top of each other, like, exactly over top of each other. Um, They do cross in, like, a weird Venn diagram-like shape, but they're these coffee rings. And he ended up using that design as the album cover. He looked at the rings, he was like, this is it handed the artist the coffee rings, and that became the album cover. Later, while they were he was being interviewed about the, um, about the album and about touring, uh, some interviewer asked him, hey, what's it like to perform these songs? What's it like to see these fans like, go absolutely crazy, like go nuts? Like, What is it like from your perspective? What's it like to be Dave Matthews? He grabbed a pen, he grabbed a piece of paper, and he drew this design. It was a headless figure, that appears to be in some sort of uh, pirouette-type dance position with his arms up, uh, one leg straight out, and then one kind of curved back in at an angle. Uh, And he said that this was what he saw when he performed. This was uh, a depiction, his artistic rendition of what he sees the fans uh, doing when he performs, letting the music sort of flow through them and just be free. And that headless design became the Fire Dancer, which is the official logo of the Dave Matthews Band now. And a lot of people have those tattoos. I'm one of them. Of course, mine is probably the biggest I've ever seen. Um, And it's funny. I I gave my tattoo artist, uh, her name's Emily uh, from Delaware, I gave her a picture of the Fire Dancer. And I said, I want one of these, but I want it to be unique and personal. I want it to be unlike anything anyone's ever seen. And you have complete artistic freedom to do what you want. So a few weeks later, she comes back and she shows me the design. And she took the fire dancer and added some very M-esque uh, line work. Her line work is is the best in the world. I said, "Wow, that's stunning, dude. That's breathtaking." She said, "Yeah. Well, I was doing research for this fire dancer. I looked at other Dave Matthews designs, uh, Dave Matthews tattoos, you know, different artwork associated with the band." and I saw these strange rings. Everyone had tattoos with rings, or the all of the artwork had these strange rings, so I decided to make my own. She had unknowingly discovered the coffee rings, and she showed me a rendition where she had not only taken the fire dancer and made it unique, but she had taken the coffee rings and made them unique as well. And her original color scheme, or color palette, was uh, warm. They were warm colors, like the color scheme of before these crowded streets and then she was like I also made this and they were cooler colors right they were light blue uh, like teal uh, you know light blues light greens uh, light purples periwinkle was is, is the main color she said this is like a cooler rendition and that's what I went with and I have this you know what 12 14 inch fire dancer on my thigh and that's that's where it came from uh, and she had you know she had no idea Not, to my knowledge, she wasn't aware of the Dave Matthews Band and, like, their logos and all their stuff. I mean, she obviously knew who the band was, but she didn't know, like, their logos, and she had no idea that the coffee rings held any significance to the band. She just saw them on other artwork, other designs, and sort of put it into her own work. So it's pretty interesting, and now I live with that forever. So at the turn of the millennium, uh, that's sort of, there was a shift in the Dave Matthews Band, Right. So Under the Table, Crash, Before These Crowded Streets, that's like classic Dave. That's what people who no longer listen to Dave Matthews Band and joke about Dave Matthews Band and say that all of their music sound the same, that's what they base their opinions off of. Is They haven't listened to the Dave Matthews Band since the year 2000, and they think that all of his music is just happy-go-lucky, stoner, festival music, and it all sounds the same, and that's because they haven't listened to his album since and that could be because maybe they grew up. I think the world grew up a little bit on September 11th, and things changed. Culture changes, but I think that there's a new sheriff in town. And the next album is one that most people assume is my favorite, but it's not. Uh, it's probably my third or fourth favorite. The next album is "Everyday." "Everyday," again recorded by RCA, was released on February 27th of 2001. It debuted at number one in both the United States and Canada, so the first to do that. And it has gone platinum, to this point, three times. Now, Every Day was actually uh, <laughs> planned and written without the band's knowledge by Dave Matthews. Um, so all these albums are typically recorded either in L.A. or in Charlottesville. It's some part of it, you know what I mean? Um they had a studio that was in Charlottesville where they recorded their music. And then obviously in L.A. where the headquarters was, the RCA headquarters, they would record and mix some of their music there. And every day uh, was was actually written in a different uh, environment. So they wanted to get back to their roots, and they decided to essentially, uh, I don't know if it was rent or lease or buy a house in Charlottesville um, in a real rural, laid-back you know, area, and turn that into a studio. I think the Beatles did that a few times. I know Led Zeppelin did it a few times. Um, you know, those big bands. <laughs> uh, I think the Stones did it where they would be like, we need to get back to our roots. And so they go buy a house in the middle of nowhere, and they turn half the house into a studio, uh, and then the rest of the house is where they write the music and live. And they were actually there uh, with a gentleman, I forget what his first name is, I think it's Steve, Um I think it's like Steve Lillywhite. I think I'm pretty sure his last name is Lillywhite, um, and they were there to record uh, what they call the Lillywhite sessions. And these are a number of songs that I'll get to later. But essentially, they were there to record the Lillywhite sessions, and the band hadn't gotten there yet. It was just it was just Dave and then these producers and dave was like hey i have some ideas and they bounced them back and forth and they ended up writing this whole album in a matter of days right like the whole thing in a matter of days and they were like well you know we should tell the band before we (laughs) spring it on them and uh they ended up recording the songs for the lily white session um and they didn't end up recording all of every day at that time um but Every Day was released. Uh, so what happened with the Lily White Sessions, why that's not an album, is the whole Napster scenario in the early 2000s, where Napster became a thing where people would... It, basically, the internet uh, pirating of music became a huge thing. And the songs were, uh, I believe, leaked online as a part of this whole Napster thing. People were you know, um, basically stealing music Uh, illegally torrenting and pirating the music. And so the project was scrapped because the surprise factor was taken away and they had other songs that they could work on. So they went back and they recorded every day. And every day, um, the album uh, came out, like I said, in 2001 uh, prior to months before 9-11. And the uh, single that they were going to release for the album uh, was When the World Ends. And, yeah, so they didn't do that because that was uh, – they read The Room, essentially, uh, because they were going to release this album, and the first single was going to be When the World Ends, and then The World Ended, uh, and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't look too good. So what they did was they took the song uh, 36, which was the 36th song that Dave had written, and it was about a freedom fighter in South Africa who had been killed uh, named Hani. I think it was spelled H-A-N-N-I, Honey. And the song went, Hani honey, honey, Come and Dance With Me. And they wanted to make it more upbeat, more, you know, sort of a better message, not like a sad um, elegy to this freedom fighter, but more of a, a, a high-spirited, uh, a better song, more American song, I guess. Uh, and so they changed it to Honey, Honey, Come and Dance With Me. And the song became... Every Day. They remixed it. They did all that. And so 36 became Every Day. And that became the single that they released instead of When the World Ends. Uh, most people think that that's my favorite album just because of Every Day. Um, Every Day is probably my favorite Dave Matthews song. But the album itself doesn't contain as many of the songs that I love as some of the other ones. And it's, it's not the best listening experience. Uh, I think that my favorite album, which I'll get to... Is more of a complete listening experience, uh, and that's why I prefer it. So that was every day. And then the next album uh, was actually the scrapped Lily White Sessions uh, reconfigured, remixed, and put into an album. And so a year later, on July 16th of 2002, so I had just turned, uh, what, seven years old, uh, they released Busted Stuff, again with RCA. It debuted at number one again in the United States and Canada, and went platinum twice. So Bust's stuff, essentially, is what the Lily White album was gonna be. Uh, It contains a number of great songs. So what made my concert the other night so special was the number of songs from the Lily White session uh, that was played, especially all in a row, how it was intended. Uh, And I can get into some of the songs on that album. My favorite, um, which has quickly become one of my favorite songs, is You Never Know, which if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you saw me quote in my post about Amel and my trip to Philadelphia. Additionally, obviously, one of my favorite songs on that album is Busted Stuff, the actual song, Busted Stuff. It's a great song. Um, what else is on there? Bartender is a classic. Uh, Where Are You Going? I sang at karaoke one time. Uh, it's pretty much the only Dave song I'm willing to sing at karaoke because it's one I think everyone can sing. Uh, and it's a great album. So, that's sort of... uh, That was 2002. The next album is one that's a a little different. Uh, And so, three years later, in May of 2005, the band released Stand Up, which debuted at number one in the U.S. and number three in Canada, and it went platinum. And here's where I'm going to get into a little bit of the history and the lore. We're at 36 minutes, by the way. I just looked. Um, So... The first three albums are what I consider to be classic Dave Matthews. Under the Table, Crash, Before These Crowded Streets. Um, under the Table, the title comes from the uh, a lyric from Ants Marching, you know. Uh, and Crash, Crash Into Me, Before These Crowded Streets is, like I said, uh, absolute banger. And those are the classic Dave Matthews albums, right? When people think of Dave, they think of the songs from those three albums. And they came before the year two thousand. Those are the pre-millennium uh, songs, you know, and that's sort of their their foundation, their first uh, peak, if you will. Then after the millennium, uh, they released "Everyday" and "Busted Stuff," and those I think that was their second peak. That was really their. I think that the first three albums and the pre two thousand albums um, were their peak songwriting, right? So I think that that's where they were really... They were all at their musical best. They were at the peak as songwriters, and they were really... I mean, they were feeling themselves. They were young, and they had a lot of energy. They were vivacious. They put out some good shit. I think that um, in the next era, the everyday busted stuff era, the early 2000s, like the 9-11 time, they were peak performers. A lot of their best performances came in 2002 to 2004. That's when people think that Dave Matthews was at their peak, and that he specifically was at his peak vocally. Uh, so 10 years after the formation of the band, that's when they think that he was his best on stage. Um, and they, so they went from peak songwriting to peak performers, and because of that, they really tried to step back uh, and get back to their songwriting roots, because they didn't just want to be known as performers, they wanted to be known as artists. Um, And then Stand Up came out in 2005. And Stand Up is, if you are into rock music and you question whether the Dave Matthews Band is a rock band, I recommend you listen to Stand Up. Stand Up is a a rock album. And the way I put it is Train, the band Train, could have released Stand Up and it wouldn't have been as successful. It would have been the least successful album by Train. I don't think Pat Monaghan... Could have performed the way that Dave does on the album. It just doesn't fit his vocals. It fits his. It fits Pat's songwriting and Train's typical releases, but it doesn't fit uh, their performance. On the other hand, Matchbox Twenty could have released Stand Up, which again, this is that same era, the Dad ro- the Dad Rock era. And Matchbox Twenty could have released Stand Up as uh, a response to their Ultra hit their greatest album, More Than You Think You Are, 2003's More Than You Think You Are, this could have been the follow-up to that, and Rob Thomas could have knocked this shit out of the park, and it would probably be one of the most successful modern rock albums in history, right? So I don't think that it necessarily... It doesn't fit where Rob Thomas was at that time, but it fits his style of performance. And so somewhere in between... uh, (laughs) Somewhere in between trained songwriting and Matchbox 20's performance is the Dave Matthews Band Dave Matthews Band's uh, stand up. And again, I think it's a great rock album. I think that it was definitely timely. Uh, of all of these, it, I don't I wouldn't say that it ages the worst or ages the poorest, but it certainly is is it seems era specific. Um, like you can tell that's a dad rock album and you can tell what year it came out in. And so after that, the new era or the next era that followed uh, the next two albums are from the post-Leroy era. And this was, you know, resulting from Leroy's death. Um, and just to get into that a little a little bit before I move on. So, uh, apparently what had happened... So, this is just a little bit of knowledge uh, to pass on to you. So, this podcast wouldn't exist. This podcast as a show... And this particular episode of this podcast wouldn't exist without Ivy, right? I don't like to talk about her. I don't like to use her name. Uh, you know, I'm trying to move on and, and be a healthier individual um, and, and live in the present, you know, not in the past. But this this whole thing wouldn't be possible without Ivy. She taught me a lot of this stuff. You know, she introduced me pretty much to his music. And her first show was Leroy's final performance. So I I can't think of when it – I think it was June – I'm pretty sure it was like June of 2008 at what was then the Nissan Post Pavilion and is now Jiffy Lube Live in Bristow, Virginia, which is essentially Manassas, which is essentially a suburb of Washington, D.C. and the Nova area. And after that show, because they were home, they were in Virginia, the band went home to Charlottesville. And in responding to some issue with like a fence or a barrier, on his property, Leroy drove his four-wheeler across his property to that fence, and he uh, eventually hit an unmarked ditch. And when he hit the unmarked ditch, he flipped his ATV and landed on him. Now, obviously, it caused serious injuries, but I don't think that they were necessarily life-threatening, or at least they were managed. right? So it didn't seem like it was fatal. And he survived uh, his initial stint in the hospital at UVA in Charlottesville. Uh, But after that, he was going to travel back to Los Angeles, to his Los Angeles home, where he would do physical therapy in L.A. to be able to perform again. Because I think that it had done damage to his ribs, which you know obviously did damage to his lungs, which is how he performs, because he played the saxophone. And in traveling to L.A. or something that happened in L.A. led to him contracting pneumonia, and he ultimately didn't recover, and he passed away from complications Uh, resulting from that ATV accident and the pneumonia. So uh, the album that they were working on at the time, uh, which was going to be their next album, he had written uh, most of, if not all of the music for the album, and all that was left was for Dave to write the lyrics and to put it together. And that album became known as uh, Big Whiskey and the Grux King. And so the Grux King is Leroy's nickname, Uh, the first song in the album is called Grux, which is based off of him, obviously. Um, And, like, the Gru Grux King is, is sort of like, it comes from his idea of, like, the soul in music, right? Like, music is a part of your soul, and your soul is a part of music. And that relationship was what I think, you know, was so important to him. But they didn't just want to call it the Gru Grux King because they didn't think that people outside of the Dave Matthews fandom would get it. And so, they were. I think they were in Louisiana. I think they were in New Orleans. And they saw a, a bum on the streets, and someone handed him some money, and he said, "I'm going to use this money to buy a, a big whiskey." That's what he said. He said, "I'm gonna now. I'm gonna go buy myself a big whiskey." And I guess it was like one of those aha moments where the light bulb flashes. And Dave looked around and said, "That's it." So they called the album "Big Whiskey" and the Rucks King. And the album cover is a Mardi Gras parade (laughs) in New Orleans. And there are little pieces of artwork uh, sort of scattered throughout the overall piece of the Mardi Gras parade uh, that represent each of the songs on the album. And then the float has a big caricature, a big cartoon face of Leroy. Also on that album is the song Why I Am, which is apparently the last song that Leroy had written. And Dave took it and turned it into sort of like an elegy or an ode to Leroy. Um, the lyrics go, um, "Forever dancing with the Grugrux King, heaven or hell, I'll be there with the Grugrux King. Um, my st- my story ends with him. You know, it, it it's basically about their relationship uh, and how their stories are intertwined. And wherever he went, it's where Dave will go. Uh, so it's very beautiful." The album is called Big Whiskey and the Groogok's King. It was released um, a year after Leroy's death, uh, June 2nd of 2009. It debuted at number one in the United States and at number two in Canada, and it went platinum. It has a number of amazing songs on it. My second favorite uh, Dave Matthews song is on that album. It's called Spaceman. Um, it's the one that I'm going to get my next tattoo of. And... It's funny that I think that 36 Every Day is my favorite day, Matthews song, but it's not my favorite song of all time. My favorite song of all time is The Sun by Maroon 5, which is my my tattoo on my left leg. Um, so you would think, well, okay, well then, if the next song, if your second favorite song of all time must be your first favorite song by the day, Matthews band, right? It should be Every Day. But that's not how my mind works. And so I think that... Um, like, if you're like, well, what's your, your favorite Dave Matthews song, which I think is, like, the most Dave Matthews, the most significant, I'd say, every day. But if I'm actually going on, like, favorite songs, as in songs that I think are the not only speak to me, but are the best artistically and the best uh, musically, then I think Spaceman is probably my second favorite song. That's why I'm going to get it tattooed. Um, so that's probably my second favorite album. It's one that I own on vinyl. Um... And then after that, uh, three years later, on September 11th, 2012, the band released Away From the World. Uh, that album, again, with RCA, it debuted at number one in the United States and number three in Canada, and it was their first album to not go platinum. Uh, it actually went gold. I don't have the updates uh, statistics, but apparently it didn't sell a million copies, which I'm surprised because it's my favorite album. Um It is definitely, in my opinion, their best album. It contains a number of songs that I absolutely adore. Um, Sweet, If Only, Broken Things, Snow Outside, Drunken Soldier, uh, Belly Belly. I'm trying to think of what else is on there. Um, It's just a great album. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. But, you know, the main song on there is is Drunken Soldier for sure. Um, Snow Outside, If Only. Yeah. So away from the world i think is their best album and is my favorite album because it's in my opinion the only one that that requires you to sit down and listen to it in its entirety straight through and I think that's why it wasn't as successful like you can look at under the table or crash or crowded streets or busted stuff and you can just pick the hits out right like you can just you know plug and play pick the jams and you know how to listen to the whole album and, and that's not what's i don't think it's intended to be that way but I think that Away From The World was an album where they truly intended that you should buy the album, you should pop it in, put your headphones in, sit down, and for the you know hour that it lasts, listen through it all the way through, straight through, no skips, and get the story behind it. I think that's why a number of albums aren't successful. It's because people don't do that anymore, right? I mean, this was 2012. This was right at the beginning of that era of... You know, where you could really... I mean, people were starting to stream. um, You know, people just buy songs or they, you know, illegally steal them. And they don't sit down. They don't buy albums. And they don't sit down and listen to them in in their entirety. People don't even do that with Drake. And Drake is the most successful musician of all time. Um, But that album is so beautiful and so powerful. And the songs just speak to the soul of humanity. Not just my soul, but to our collective soul. Um, and he said that away from the world, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to think of what song that came from. Um, Oh, it came from the riff away from the world came from the song, the riff, but it, Dave said that it, it's basically alluding to how, um, our body is, is basically just a capsule, uh, a box that our soul resides in. And it, it sort of was like a, Blurring the lines between life and death, which is kind of dark, but when you listen to the album, you get that. Um, and obviously, Drunken Soldier, I recommend. I definitely think that Snow Outside is a little creepy, but I really love it. Um, if you're cold, I'll build you a fire from the bones of who I used to be. You know, uh, you are like my secret garden. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a great album, and so. That's sort of that other era. That's the post-Leroy era. And then now we're into the uh, post-Boyd era, the new era, post-Boyd, and then the addition of Buddy Strong. And in this era, we have our newest album, which is their ninth studio album called Come Tomorrow, again with RCA. It was released on June 8th of 2018, and it debuted at number one in the United States and number two in Canada. And this is the first and only Dave Matthews album to be released while I was dating Ivy, right? So while I was right in the the heat of the Dave Matthews band. (laughs) And this is, again, uh, the first album um, where they toured and Buddy Strong was there instead of Boyd. And a lot of the songs from that album that are hits and that people love, excuse me, uh, that people love are actually songs that they toured with for decades. They're songs that they had been playing for years live, but there were never any live studio, or there were never any studio recordings of the songs, only the live performances. And they finally decided to slam some, <laughs> some of those live performances into the studio and then release them as an album. So a lot of people are like, oh my God, I love this new album. I love the song Samurai Cop, or I love the song Can't Stop. And then there are people who are like, well, I've been listening to that song for 15 years. Um, and of course, they changed up the versions a little bit, but that's essentially where it comes from. Um, so those are their studio albums. They're currently working on a tenth uh, studio album, uh, and I don't know if it'll have the same feeling as "Come Tomorrow." A lot of people don't like "Come Tomorrow" that much. Um, I've heard some of their new music because I've been to, like I said, four. I've been to four concerts in this tour, and each one I got a different new song. So I've heard essentially four of the new songs off their new album. So I know what the new album is going to sound like, and it sounds amazing you know, unfortunately better than Come Tomorrow. Um, But Come Tomorrow is one of those albums that, again, could have been written, it's dad rock, right? It's like dad rock in this generation. So it's like when Train uh, releases um, Save Me San Francisco or California 37 or, you know, something like that. Like, it's it's dad rock, but in this era. Uh, And so I don't know if it'll age necessarily that well, but I, I enjoy it. And there's a song called Do You Remember... And it's really like, I don't want to say childish, but it, it, it just it's very different from Dave's music. Um, and I like it, and everyone else doesn't seem to like it that much. Um, that Girl Is You is another one from that album that people actually do like. Uh, all the songs about his wife, they like. All the songs about his kids, they don't like. So take that as you will. Um, so I'm at 52 minutes. So in the last eight minutes, I'm just going to run through some things. Uh, before we get on to my story it's also getting late so i might have to make this a two-day recording i just want to go through so some of the things uh dave matthews band as much as they're known for their studio albums are known for their sorry about that i had to uh take a quick break um i don't know it never seems like my mom understands that i have made a podcast and so every time she hears me talking after eight o'clock at night, she thinks that I'm having like a secret phone conversation underneath my blanket. Like I'm in middle school <laughs> or something. I don't know. So she's always like, who are you talking to? And I'm like either myself or the entire world. And there's no in between. Um, and of course, she doesn't really understand privacy. So I could be talking to anyone on the phone past eight o'clock. And as a 26-year-old, and she still has to know who and why. And that's really hard to explain when you're trying to have phone sex with someone who lives three states away. Um, And it's also hard to explain to them why your mom's busting in, too. Uh, So I don't recommend it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, back to that was sort of the adult joke of the hour, Um, because everyone knows I don't have phone sex, because you have to have a woman that wants to have sex with you to have phone sex. Rip. And so (laughs) as much as the Dave Matthews Band is known for their studio albums, I think that they are probably more uh, well known for their uh, live albums, right? For their actual recordings of their concerts. And I just wanted to run through a few of those. At this point, there's probably about, I don't know, 75 uh, live Dave Matthews albums. So you, you never run out of things to listen to. Uh, but I'm just going to run through a, a few popular ones that are of some significance. So the first one is called Remember Two Things. It's from November of 1993, and it went platinum. Um, it's important for a number of reasons. One, it's it's pretty much their first uh, live album release, like their big live album release. And the title comes from um, a saying that Dave has that he uses uh, after a number of performances, typically after they perform Ant's Marching. And the saying goes, uh, ironically... Remember two things. You love your mother and leave only your footprints. And that's sort of like his, his you know, uh, talking, going back to, you know, his relationship with his mom, how his family kind of, you know, fell apart. Um, reminding you to love your mother no matter what. And then leave only your footprints is his mantra for life, which is, you know, don't leave things either as they were when you got there or better. Um, but never, you know... Especially in, he's so environmentally conscious that it, it really typically comes to littering and leaving trash behind after his performances. But I, I use it uh, all the time, honestly. I say it whenever I go to the beach leave only your footprints. And that's why I pick up trash. And something that Ivy and I had in common, and a lot of my, my friends and, and close, intimate uh, people I have in common as well. Um, so remember two things you love your mother, and leave only your footprints. After the Central Park concert, which I'll get to in a sec, uh, he actually said, remember two things, you love New York, and leave only your footprints, because they were in the park. But um, after that is my, f- well, one of my favorite live albums, it might be my favorite, it's definitely one that I, I have dreams of, is Live at Red Rocks. Uh, Red Rocks is an amphitheater in Colorado. The park is the Red Rocks Park, it's a whole thing, you have to look it up, Um That album, that performance was from August 15th, 1995, but the album was released on October 28th of 1997. It went double platinum. It's, in my opinion, the best performance at the Red Rocks. It's probably, looking back, it's probably my favorite performance pre-2000s. So, like, in that classic Dave era, this is probably my favorite performance. Um, They do play thirty six. Uh, and Red Rocks is a venue that they haven't been to in a long time. I actually can't remember the last time that they played at Red Rocks, but how most people dream of going to the Gorge um, and most and a lot of other If they don't dream of going to the Gorge for Labor Day weekend, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, performances, uh, they dream of going to SPAC, you know, like I did for the Friday and Saturday night performances. My dream venue is, is neither the Gorge nor SPAC, uh, it's actually Red Rocks because of how rare it is, because they don't do it anymore, and because the every performance there is truly epic and historic. Um, there have been some gort because Gorge is three nights, so there's a chance that one night might fucking suck. And Spac, not every Spac has been great because sometimes they've they've headlined with certain uh, albums that they were they were focusing on. Um, but you know, luckily, I've had my my fair share of luck. So, Live at Red Rocks. Uh, The next one is Listener Supported, which was also a video. It was also, I think, a a film of the concert. Listener Supported is from New York. I think it was like East Rutherford, uh, New York, New Jersey. It's from November of 1999, and it went uh, double platinum. There were some really good songs on that album. I think that a recording of Long Black Veil was on that one, if I'm not mistaken. So that's, I mean, it's a great, great one. I I definitely recommend, um, I recommend these three if you're getting into Dave Matthews and and you want to listen to not only some amazing, the good songs, because he only played the good songs for these. That's why they were released. That's why these concerts were later released as albums was because they were the good songs. But how he intended them to be uh, heard and at the peak of his vocal ability, I recommend Remember Two Things, Live at Red Rocks 95 and Listener Supported. The next one is the Central Park Concert. The Central Park Concert is widely considered to be the best Dave Matthews performance of all time. Uh, I think that's up in the air, Uh, at least for me, and not just because of SPAC. But the Central Park Concert is its definitely, in my opinion, listening to all these albums in the top five, if not the top three. Um, But the Central Park Concert occurred on November... or The album was released on November 18th of 2003, I think the concert took place in July of 2003, and then it was later released in November. It went platinum, which is not an accurate marker of the success of this album. If you talk about Dave Matthews to anyone, if you say Central Park, they know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, And the reason this... It was a free concert, and I think that what happened was Dave and the band went to local radio stations, went to local news stations posted flyers, you know, got the got the word out, uh, you know, by the people for the people that they were putting on a free a free concert in Central Park. And they erected a stage and they played a super long show. Like just to put that out there, one of the longest performances, if not probably the longest. Um they played all the hits, they played all the all the great songs and the versions, the reason it's so loved is not because they only it's not that they just played the best songs, but they played the best versions of those songs. So if you love a song by the Dave Matthews Band, look to see if it's on the Central Park Concert album because that's going to be the best version of the song. Uh, some that, that really hit me off the top of my head, uh, the bartender from that one, from the Central Park Concert, is amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of, of other ones. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say that something was on there that that isn't, but the ones that I remember is the bartender. Um, I'm pretty sure one that I know for sure was on there was the Dancing Nancys. and Dancing Nancys has like this strange bartender intro that really got me into Dave, uh, which you have to listen to, and then uh, the version of Ants Marching is where he ends with, remember two things: you love New York City and leave only your footprints. Um, they also play a version of Cortez the Killer with Warren Haynes, uh, and that's absolutely amazing. So, the Central Park Concert, they released an album, uh, The Gorge, in 2004. It went gold. Again, another classic. It's up there with the Central Park Concert. Weekend on the Rocks, uh, was released, let's see, uh... Eight years after Live on the Rocks, Live at Red Rocks, I should say. Um, so Weekend on the Rocks was released in November of two thousand five. Another epic performance. That's the one that Ivy prefers. Weekend on the Rocks to Live at Red Rocks, um, but both of those are up there. I think in the at least the top ten, if not the top five. Uh, another good al- another good album, uh, live album is Piedmont Park, which was released uh, December eleventh of two thousand seven. And then Europe 2009, which is basically a compilation of their European stint of their tour, uh, was released in December 22nd of 2009. On Europe 2009, there's a version of Rye Whiskey that's my favorite, um, aside from the one that I got. (laughs) And the reason I like that one is because they're in Italy. And so the intro to the song, Dave has to explain to the Italians what Rye Whiskey is. Like, not the beverage, I don't think. But the song, because it's a traditional American folk song, uh, and they don't, they're do not they not necessarily sure where it came from or when it was actually originally written, uh, but the most popular versions came from the 30s, and then the, the version that Dave covers came from the 50s. So he says this is a traditional song from the States. It's a drinking song. It's called Rye Whiskey, um, and he just absolutely kills it. So after that, I want to get into the Live track series real quick. Um, I'm a little over an hour, and then I'll, I'll stop and take a break. So Live Tracks, again, is the series of live albums, and they call it Live Tracks for two... I mean, I'll just say why. So Tracks alludes to the nightclub in Charlottesville, uh, the Tracks Club, where they performed from 1991 to 1996. Um, and Live Tracks, the series, is based off of... I think the band goes through... They record every performance. Every single performance by the Day Matthews Band is recorded and will likely ultimately uh, end up uh, on an album. And so they pick their best performances, their best concerts, and they release them as albums. First to the warehouse, which is their fan association, and then to the public. And I, I think at this point there's about 56 of these, and they're not in chronological order. So you'll get an album that comes out... <laughs> And the album will be from a concert 10 years in the past. Or you'll get one that the concert was last year. And they, it goes back and forth. So just a few of note is live tracks number one, which is from 1998 in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I recommend for anyone listening, mostly Alex, the song Linus and Lucy, which is sort of like a uh, play on the Peanuts, the classic you know, Charles Schultz, Peanuts, Charlie Brown comics and that version of 41. Uh, Live Tracks 2 was from uh, September 12th of 2004. Uh, it was recorded in San Francisco at the Golden Gate State Park. Uh, the ver- the songs on that one, I recommend Lie in Our Graves. Uh, he says this is a song about being dead. The version of Warehouse, which features Carlos Santana on guitar. A version of The Stone, which is absolutely beautiful. It's probably one of my favorite versions. Uh The version of 41, I recommend 41 a lot. I apologize. 41 features an everyday interlude where there's a musical break and the crowd starts singing every day and then Dave starts singing every day. And then eventually they do play, they actually play every day. So the 41 into every day into 41 into every day is just really, I mean, it's my wet dream essentially. So after that is, uh, pardon, (laughs) I, I apologize for that. Um... Live tracks number three is from August 27th of 2000. It was recorded in Hartford, Connecticut, and of course, all of these are good. I recommend the entire albums, but specifically for Alex, because she asked for live tracks number three. I recommend their cover of "The Maker," which is about uh, meeting God. It's really interesting. Live tracks number six is from uh, July 7th and 8th of 2006. It was performed at Fenway Park in Boston. I recommend that version of "Grace Is Gone." Live tracks number seven was released on New Year's Eve of nineteen ninety six, which is an early show uh, in Hampton, Virginia, at the Hampton Coliseum. So, you know, a home state show. I recommend the version of "Say Goodbye" from nineteen ninety six. Let's see. After live tracks number seven, live tracks number eight. So, live tracks number seven was New Year's Eve, ninety six. Live tracks eight was August seventh of two thousand four. And that show is uh, in East, East Troy, Wisconsin. And the, the song from that one I recommend is actually my favorite recording of every day. So if you're like, Lance, your license plate says DMB 36. What's that? And I say, it's the song 36, the song every day. And they're like, oh, well, I want to hear it. This is the version I would send the Apple Music or Spotify or YouTube link to. Um, this is that version. And it's because although it was from 2004 and Every Day had come out in 2001, they still played it as 36. Um, you know, when when Leroy was alive, they still played it the, the original way, essentially. Uh, so it was a slower, more emotional, more powerful every day than what they play now. And this version is sort of a weird combo where it's in between. So it's, it has a lot of essence of number 36 with the modern aspects of everyday, And so I think it's the perfect 50-50 combo of of both versions, and that's why it's my favorite. Uh, And that's, again, live tracks number eight. Live tracks number nine is from uh, March 23rd and 24th of 2007 at MGM Grand in Nevada. And I recommend Stolen Away on 55th and 3rd. Uh, It's a song about uh, a woman and how she basically stole him away. I use that phrase now to allude to my past. Uh, so that's live tracks number nine, Stolen Away. Live tracks number 10 is from May 25th, 2007. It was recorded in Lisbon, Portugal. And for that one, the songs that I recommend are the songs I always recommend. Uh, I recommend that version of Every Day, which is another great one. Dream Girl, which is a song I haven't mentioned yet. Line Our Graves and Two Step." Two-Step is, is a great song to get into, Dave. Um, live Tracks number 11 is from August 29th, 2000, and it's from SPAC, which is pretty cool. Uh, so almost, was that, 21 years? <laughs> 21 years to the day uh, from when I was there. And I recommend the version of Grace is Gone, which I actually got 21 years later. I got the the same song. Grace is Gone and their version of The Maker. The next two are, again, uh, I apologize for the length of this. That's what she said. Um, but the next two, I recommend the entire albums. I can pull out some songs, but I just I recommend the whole album. The first, uh, I recommend one song from each, but I recommend you have to listen to the whole thing, is live tracks number 22, right? So write this down. Alex Booner, write this down. Live tracks number 22. You'll like this one. This show, um, I don't know if the show or the album was released um, on the date I have is July 14th of 2010. I believe that's when the show was. Um, so July 14th, 2010, Live Tracks 22 was recorded, and now you're going to love this. This was 2010, right? So you know what was the number one show on television at the time? The Office. NBC had The Office. And this show was recorded at Montage Mountain in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yep. So Live Tracks 22 uh, from July of 2010 was recorded at Montage Mountain in Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of The Office, another one of my dream venues. They no longer play there. I don't know if Montage Mountain still exists, like the venue itself, but I would love to go there, especially because I can only imagine being in Scranton when The Office was at its peak. That was either like Right before or right after Michael had left, it was pretty late in the series at that point. Um, But I recommend the whole album. My favorite song, though, from that album is that version of The Stone. Uh, That's actually my favorite version of The Stone. And Alex, you know how much I love that song. Anyone listening knows how much I love The Stone. My favorite version comes from Scranton in 2010. The next one I recommend, again, the whole album, um, is Live Tracks 28. So 22 and 28 is from November 19th, 2010. Uh, and that is actually recorded. This is why it's, I think this is why it's, it's so good. It was recorded at the John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia. So this one was recorded at the John Paul Jones Arena, which is the football stadium at UVA in Charlottesville. So it's uh, Dave's home show, which I can only imagine what it's like to see Dave Matthews at home uh, not, I mean, it's his home. And it's it's like my home too. I recommend the entire album. Uh, it's probably one of their best. It's it's definitely in my top five. You know, uh, I think that Spac Night Two, uh, Red Rocks, Montage Mountain, uh, UVA. I think that they're definitely in my top. I recommend the whole album, but the one that really gets me from that album is his version of Sister, which is dedicated to his younger sister Jane um and i got that song too which it was one that i was really after um and it's about how he couldn't imagine he couldn't lose his other sister essentially it was about he couldn't live without jane because he had already lost his other sister and he just couldn't go on and how much he loves her um and the opening verse is one of the most powerful things i've ever heard in my entire life um And so I recommend Sister, uh, especially for Alex, if she's listening, which I hope she is because she requested this. You'll definitely think of Melissa and you'll cry and then you'll play it for Melissa and she probably won't cry, but your mom will. It'll be a whole thing. Uh, But yeah, so at at Scranton, I recommend The Stone and at UVA, I recommend uh, Sister. So that's pretty much all I have uh, right now for all of the history of the, that was the uh, abridged, annotated, short version of the history of the Dave Matthews Band, uh, including their formation, the band members, the chronological discography, and uh, just a note on some of their best live albums. Again, I only mentioned uh, up to live album, live tracks 28, and they're on 56 right now. So I haven't listened to all of them. So I still have years of, of enjoying new music or new versions of music that I haven't heard yet. Uh, and that's the beauty of Dave, is it never stops. I love you, and I can't stop. I need you, and I can't stop. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take a quick break, and I don't know if I'll continue tonight, but we'll see. I hope that everyone's enjoying this. I hope that everyone's learned something. Um, and again, Alex, if you know, I know you're listening. Uh, I miss you so much, and I love you so much, and I can't wait to see you again. I hope that this is everything that you wanted it to be, um, I hope that I met your expectations and uh, I miss seeing you every day. And I hope you love this. Uh I miss Eric and Melissa and Jason and I'll see you soon. Everyone else listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh I love y'all and I'll be right back. All right. Peace. Yo, all right. So I'm back. Um and you know, I don't know how much I'm going to get into this tonight uh, versus whether I'll save any for tomorrow. I might record it all tonight and then edit it tomorrow. Um, so as I'm speaking right now, it's 12.07 a.m. on Tuesday, September 21st. Um, and so this portion of this episode, which it might be a two-part episode, uh, I don't know if I'll split it or not, is about my history with the Dave Matthews Band. Right, So I don't need any notes. Um, I got it all memorized. <laughs> And never leaves. And I just wanted to talk about that and, and what Alex was, was asking about. Um, so this might get a little bit deep. Uh, not that, you know, that's what she said. Um, not that everything I do doesn't get super deep. Um, but, you know, there's going to be some uncomfortable subjects, uncomfortable topics, uh, some things that might bring some tears to your eyes. You might be angry or sad or, or whatever. And I apologize for that. Um, but it's going to be real. And that's what I love about Dave Matthews and what I love about his music is he's like an old friend. He's like a dad and a brother and a mentor and an idol and an old friend and his music is real because he's real and it, it speaks to things that everyone knows that I, I don't want to say, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I love speaking and I love writing and I, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. A lot of people have said that I'm pretty good at it, but Dave says and does and sings things that are things that I feel that I ha- I don't have the wisdom of age to put into words. Not yet. And he gives me that. So I'll start with my earliest Dave memories, um, which I assume is what everyone's after, because uh, most people are going to think it's 2000, July 2016 with Ivy Nargis, uh, but it's not, actually. My earliest Dave memories come from the early 2000s, right? So, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I'm going to, you know, just go right into it. So, I'm a little nervous, actually. I don't know why. Um, I've told the story a thousand times in my head. But um, as you all know, uh, my parents weren't married. uh, And my mom worked in Winchester, Virginia. She was, um, she worked at a hair salon, local hair salon, which... At the time, was visible changes, and is, then became DK and company, and I think now they they finally closed their doors and retired. Um, and my mom was a beauty school dropout, just like the song from Greece, which is why it's my favorite song. Um, and she was a beauty school dropout, where she was going to beauty school, and my granddaddy Bill had paid for it, but she had me, and and decided that she just couldn't do it, you know, for whatever reason. Um. And her parents, her family, uh, my momma and Paul Paul lived in Winchester. And then she worked in Winchester. And then my dad lived and occasionally worked in Front Royal, which is about, I don't know, anyone listening can tell me, probably about, <laughs> I like to say 30 minutes south. Um, if you take 522 south, probably about 30 minutes. Um, and so during the day and during the week, really, uh, I would stay with my Momo and Pawpaw. Well, Pawpaw was on the road because he was a truck driver. He was a long-distance trucker. And um, he was a long-distance fucker, too. But <laughs> I miss that old man. But um, that old fart. But, yeah. So I stayed with Momo And that's where I pretty much, you know, learned all of my basic motor functions and advanced uh, abilities. Uh, and my mom would work at the hair salon. And so at the end of the day... Uh, I don't. I can't remember. I don't think it was every day, right? Because that seems like it would be... I don't remember driving to Winchester every day from Front Royal in the mornings, but I do remember Fridays driving from Winchester to Front Royal to our townhouse. And um, my mom would pick me up from Omos, and we would drive. We would take 522 South. It would be Friday at 5, and they would play the same songs every Friday at 5 on Wink FM, right? And so the first one was the song finally Friday by George Jones uh, which I can recite by heart because it's just so ingrained in my psyche so deep in my psyche that if this was get out and someone had taken my brain out and put in like a younger or like oh I guess it would be an older so if someone took my brain out and put in like an old man's brain so that he could have my body and be young and like live life again with my body uh and steal it like and get out sorry to spoil that uh, if you like flashed a camera flash at my face and I could like get out of the sunken place for a second, I would be able to recite finally Friday by George Jones. That's how ingrained in my psyche that is in the deep reptilian survival part of my brain. And so after that, uh, they would play Dave Matthews, right? This is early to- late 90s, early 2000s, they played Dave Matthews. Um, and the the main one that I remember, the first one that I remember, is Ants Marching, right? I feel like that's that's the one that, when I think in chronological order, the, f- the one that I know is Ants Marching. Um, so let me look back at my, at my notes to see what year that was, just to be sure. So, Under the Table and Dreaming. Yeah, so, 94, that'd be right. Um, ants Marching uh, was the one that they played. So, Friday at 5, it was Finally Friday by George Jones, and then Ants Marching by Dave Matthews Band. And that's what we would listen to on those afternoon rides, the sun would be, uh, the, f- the falling sun, setting sun would be beating in to uh, the rear windows of my mom's uh, forest green Ford station wagon, and it would put me to sleep, you know, it, it, would, it would be so comforting, it was like God's embrace, like Dave said, lying in the hands of God, um, and that's what we would listen to on the ride to Front Royal, the hills in five twenty two north, they give you that feeling in your stomach, which I always, <laughs> I always had trouble describing it. Uh, the and the feeling in your stomach uh, is like sort of deep in your um, what do I want to put deep in your uh, let's call it your posterity, right? Deep in the jewels, um, and I thought I was the only one who ever experienced that, so I never said anything because I thought it was gross and like sexualized. But apparently, there are plenty of books about the Shenandoah Valley and about the Blue Ridge Mountains and about driving on 522 South and those rolling hills on 522 South between um, Double Tollgate, Stephen City, and Front Royal, those rolling hills give you this feeling in, in the pit of your stomach um, that sort of tickles your, your innards. Uh, and that's well-known. It's like a well-documented thing. And later in life, when I started to date women and started to learn about women and their uh you know anatomy i guess their uh physiology um i learned that that's that's what they compare um some of their sensations to essentially uh and that's so driving on those rolling hills of 522 south is the closest thing that a man can experience to uh the sensation of female pleasure uh, which I don't know why I'm sharing this right now. This is a very Dave Matthews' thing, but it's something I discovered at a young age, right? Like this, this memory of the of the feeling in my my stomach in the pit of my innards as a child listening to Dave Matthews Band uh, in the backseat of my mom's car um, at five years old is like that's my first sexual, I guess, feeling or experience. Um, but yeah, and so another song that I, I remember from that period was when I was just a little bit older, driving around with my grandmother um, in her Ford Taurus, her red Ford Taurus, rest in peace, and sometimes driving around with my mom in Winchester when she wasn't working, was uh, What Would You Say? Right, And I had talked about that song earlier. So the first Dave Matthews songs I remember were Ants Marching and What Would You Say? And Ants Marching I associate with 522 at around 530 at night on the rolling hills, and what would you say I associate with uh, Green Street, which is actually kind of behind where I live now. Uh, Green Street at like <laughs> eleven a.m. Uh, just blasting for some reason. Thanks, Barry Lee. Um, and those are my first two earliest Dave memories, really. And then my parents separated uh, when I was young. Um, for if you didn't know, surprise, <laughs> it's not that I don't talk about it all the time. Um, my parents separated when I was young, and my next day of memory, which is kind of where it kind of cuts off for a while, is my dad, the woman that my dad cheated on my mother with, her name was Sonia, right? Sonia Nail. And she, um, it took me a while to, to get, to be able to talk about this. Um, but when they were together and my parents split custody and shared, I wouldn't say shared, they split custody. There was no sharing going on, um, and I spent weekends every other weekend with my dad. I, I got to learn a little bit, and you know, this was at like a weird age in public school and elementary school. You know, between like the ages of like seven and and ten. You know what I mean? So those are like really awkward ages, I think. Um, and at that time, I don't, re- I can't remember what year this album came out because I didn't talk about it. But d- I think it was two thousand three is when it came out. Uh, Dave Matthews released a solo album, right, which a lot of people went went nuts for. But he released a solo album called Some Devil, which is about, uh, I don't think they were married, but it was about a breakup with this woman that he thought was going to be his wife. Uh, And it was really, like, it's really sad music. Uh, They're all, I think every song is pretty much like a love song. And uh, he released that album, and it was a big radio hit, right? Uh, They were like, oh, my God, Dave Matthews goes on his own. And I remember we were talking about it because my dad loved Creed at the time, the band Creed. And we were talking about music and something came up and he mentioned Dave Matthews. And he also, they, so they mentioned Creed uh, with arms wide open. And then um, I can't think of what the other song was. They they mentioned Prince uh, when doves cry and, I can't I can think of it off the top of my head. I'll get to it eventually. But they mentioned Dave Matthews and the song that they mentioned was Gravedigger. Right? And Gravedigger is a fan favorite. It's it's very well known. Um it makes me think of my dad, honestly, especially because now that he's passed, I mean quite literally Gravedigger. And the song uh essentially talks about the lives of these people and the years of their lives and it talks about Dave wanting I don't want to say wanting to be dead, but he says, Grave Digger, when you dig my grave, make it shallow so that I can feel the rain. Um, and <laughs> there's like this one series of dates in the song that doesn't have a person attached to it. Uh, for some reason, this, this one life that he mentions in the song, like these years, he just mentions the years. And um, it ends in 1992. I don't, oh, damn, dude, it could, be, it could be his sister, actually. I never thought of it that way. Anyway, but so I think of Gravedigger and I think about my dad in that period of my life where I, I was still young, I was still a child, I was still an adolescent. But it was after the worst periods of my life when my parents separated. So I I had this like I attached Gravedigger to my childhood trauma, <laughs> and so getting it when I got it uh, at Meriwether and I thought about my dad, I cried just because he he loved that song and and now he's one of the He's a list of numbers in the song. Uh, so yeah, so that's pretty much my earliest Dave memories are revolve around my dad, my mom, and dad uh, before and after they separated. And then I didn't listen to Dave for a while. Um, I knew of him obviously. I'd seen him in, in television and movies, and I, I, you know, I knew his music. The Wink FM, the local radio station in Winchester, still played. What would you say up the ass like every day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't really keep up with his music. Uh, not that when I look back, not that there was much to keep up with in that period. Um, but my next day of memory after that is sort of... <laughs> it's kind of it's similar, actually, to the one with my dad. is with Ivy, and it's funny because I lost both these people at the same time. Um, but it's sort of like a weird before and after type thing where, like, the, the lines are blurred between the beginning and the end, and the end and the beginning. And... My next memory uh, revolves around Dave Matthews and I don't want to Yeah, I'll go back to it. So, like, there's, there's an in-between um, that I didn't think I was going to talk about, but I will. So in high school, um, I didn't date for a long time because I lacked self-confidence and self-esteem because I had always been the fat, you know, fat intellectual kid, fat intellectual awkward kid who was going through puberty Later than everyone else, definitely, I still feel uh, in my development, in my physical development, I still feel uh, behind, especially with my facial hair. Um, So I wasn't comfortable with my body because I was overweight and I had never been, you know, no one had ever told me that I was attractive, not that anyone has ever told me since. Uh, (laughs) Rest in peace. Uh, Now there are some people. I'm just saying that it's not like I, I don't receive compliments maybe once every three years uh, about my physical appearance. Aside from my mother and grandmother, but uh, when I was once I was in my junior year of high school, I started to realize that I was actually popular. I just hadn't looked around to notice. You know, I I couldn't see the forest for the trees, and that personality that I had, that sort of general modesty and sense of identity where I was I felt like I was hyper aware of myself, but people saw it as like a, 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 a handsome self-awareness had evolved into a popularity that I had developed a very large social circle. I just didn't notice because I was so focused on hating myself. So when I was a junior in high school and had participated in the junior variety show and and realized that people loved my personality and that I wasn't as ugly as I thought and that women actually did want me, I should say high school girls because I was in high school and they weren't, you know, I don't want to say men and women because we weren't adults yet, but girls wanted me, and I realized that, and so I started to build that confidence and I started to date, and um, not really my first girlfriend, but my my second girlfriend, who was like my first serious relationship, was a young lady named Morgan. And Morgan and I would enjoy drives in my 1985 BMW, right, because I had my license, and she didn't. That's how high school goes. I was a senior. She was a freshman, and... Um, I drove my 1985 BMW 528E, uh, which I still have. Uh, It's a little dinged up and damaged, not because of my doing. Um, And, you know, as you do, as really starting that period, uh, you make playlists for the people that you love. And I had, like, a a really romantic, what I thought was romantic playlist, which was typically um, Maroon 5, because our album was Songs About Jane, right? She started the... I wouldn't say she started, but the curse, the Lance curse started with Maroon 5. So songs about Jane and then Ed Sheeran, who was really big at the time, um, like the song Kiss Me. And I'm trying to think what else was in that playlist. Um, and then one of the songs in the playlist that I always played when I didn't play songs about Jane was Crash Into Me <laughs> uh, by Dave Matthews Band. Right. And so we would go on these romantic drives or I guess you can call it romantic. Uh, looking back, uh, we'd go in these drives in the BMW and we would play songs about Jane. And then we would play just the one Dave Matthews song, right? Like no no other Dave Matthews song uh, was Crash Into Me. And the version of Crash Into Me that I played, right, the, al- the Crash Into Me album came out in 96. But the version that I played in my playlist, which I had, you know, uh, stumbled upon, was actually from the Gorge live album from June of 2004. I didn't know that for years uh, until I got an iPhone and it could tell me where it came from. Um, So I was listening to this on some Android hooked up to this aux that was in this uh, not-stock aftermarket uh, radio in my BMW. And that was it. And that's that Dave memory. And then, of course, that playlist, you know, I reused it on a few other women, obviously, because that's... You get lazy in love sometimes. Uh, I don't do that anymore, obviously. Um, but you know, that was my—that was one of my romantic songs, right? Like when you're trying to kiss a girl, uh, you put on "Crash Into Me," and that's been true for 25 years, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, that—that that memory is my high school memory of Dave Matthews. Um, I don't think I've told anyone that uh, ever. <laughs> so that's cool. Ah, uh, the only gr- the only people that knew that were Morgan and Scarlett. So you know, because those were the only girls that ever got my high school romance playlist. Um, and Ivy, of course, of course, she laughed at me because it was dumb. But yeah, in high school, when I tried to romance women, I'd play songs about Jane, and then I'd play One Day Matthew song, which was crashing into me. Um, well, how's it go? I'll be your—I D- I don't want to sing it, but he says I'll be your Dixie chicken if you be my Tennessee lamb, and we can walk together. Down in Dixieland. Crash into me. That's how the ending goes. Uh, And that's how I knew it was a live version, because that's like a special... The Dixieland um, outro is uh, specific to live performances. So then, fast forward to where I was going, we're going to be in Shepherd at this point. So we went from Front Royal in like 2000... (laughs) We went from Front Royal in like 2003 to Winchester in 2012 to Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia in 2015. And so during my, my junior year uh, spring semester when I was you know studying political science and whatnot, and I spent most of my days and nights in the library, uh, rest in peace. I would listen to Pandora, right? because I didn't have Apple music uh, because you know whatever. I didn't feel like paying for albums. Um, the only albums I bought at that time were Drake albums. Uh, I actually own his music. I don't just stream it. Uh, And so I would spend all my time in the library, in the um, Scarborough Library uh, at Shepard University. And I had one computer I always used because it was the best one. And I would listen to Pandora. And one of my Pandora stations, for some reason, I I always thought back to the song Crash Into Me from high school. I I created a Dave Matthews Band uh, station on Pandora. And that's when I I got into a lot of his music. And um, the songs that really got me were the songs uh, from uh, the album Busted Stuff. And I'm not really sure. I can't off the top of my head think of all the songs on Busted Stuff. Like I said, they're from the Lily White Sessions. Uh, But the big one was was Bartender and Where Are You Going. Um, I'm trying to think. Those were pretty much the the big ones at the time. Yeah. I don't know. I can always just picture myself at in the Scarborough Library looking at my computer. If I turn to my left, I see more rows of computers. And then, um, like, our, the news section. If I, you know, turn around, behind me are the printers. In front of me are two other computers in, like, an island formation. Uh, if you're playing Pong, an island formation. Um And then you can look sort of towards the entrance to the library, towards the circulation desk. And if I turn to my right, you see people sitting on couches uh, and these large windows that give you a view of the student center and the football field uh, and what used to be the Sarah Cree building. Um, And I remember just the sun coming in through those large windows and seeing the blue computer screen of the Pandora on the desktop and then the album cover of busted stuff is a man i don't know if it's dave or not i don't think it is uh, sitting on the sidewalk with one of his legs out and a bunch of different posters on the wall and it's really bright bright red and bright orange and bright yellow um and listening to to bartender uh, which i was super powerful and where are you going and that's like my first memory in that modern era of uh what i guess would be what spring of 2016 and then months later uh i in <laughs> and months later uh i met ivy and i met ivy and this is the part i think that a lot of people are are waiting for so i'm going to take a, a break to get a drink and then i'll i'll get into the story real quick so just give me a sec so I know that this is the part that everyone's waiting for, and I'm going to try to be as as I always do, respectful as possible. I'm going to tell my story. I'm not going to try to tell her story. Uh, it's going to be my perspective, but it, I'm going to be respectful. You know, I only have positive things to say about her, you know. Um, if I ever loved you, i always love you. That's how I was raised. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to make this respectful and appropriate and... Just keep it real, you know? I mean, there's nothing bad to say. It's just a story. So I started talking to Ivy. I texted her, or I messaged her on Instagram because on June, I remember it, I'm not even looking at my phone. Uh it crossed my heart and hope to die. Not looking at my phone or anything. I texted her on <laughs> June 18th of 2016 because she had gone to see Dave Matthews at, I believe it was Merryweather Post, And the picture she posted was right beneath him, like, directly beneath Dave Matthews. And so I guess it was the next day. So it was the 19th. And I was like, oh, my God, how did you get this photo? Like, how, like, did you take this? Is this a professional? Is this a photographer? You just love Dave and and you must love Dave. And you are posting this Um, or what? Like, how did you get this photograph of Dave Matthews directly in front of him, directly below him? like literally just inches away. She said, well, I was lucky enough to get rail at this show. Rail, rail is like, uh, cause you can't say front row because there's no rows. Front rows. If you say front row, you're assuming uh, there are seats. Rail is the fence or the rail that divides the pit from the stage. And there's a space in between the rail and the stage where the security is. So rail is like as, as close as you can get. And she was like, well, I was at, I was on rail to see Dave with my mom, Uh, and so we got there super early, hours early, and like we camped out, got there hours early, got there, stood there for hours, waiting, and it was worth it, and she took all these amazing photos of Dave, and was talking about how great the show was, and of course, this was my cousin's birthday, so June 18th is uh, my ex's birthday, Morgan, it's her birthday, and my cousin Justin's birthday, and it also happened to be the first time that I ever talked to Ivy, so... It's funny how things you know, come full circle like that. Um, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this photograph is amazing. I can. I'm blocked on Instagram, obviously, and Facebook. Rest in peace, um, because I have to be blocked for <laughs> for a relationship to work and for me to get over uh, and develop and move on with my life. That's just how it has to be. Um, but I can I can show you a depiction in my mind uh, of him at the microphone. Uh, with the guitar, and I was just like, holy shit, dude, this is absolutely... Like, how do you have the money and the ability to do this? And we got to talking, and she was actually going to go down to Florida uh, for a few days to see a friend of hers, and I was, for some reason, at my grandmother's house. (laughs) I was at Momol's house. Um, I think I was there because Paul wasn't doing well. And I was like, cool, like, that's great, like, have fun in Florida, like, whatever. Um... And we got to talking for a few days uh, before – I think we talked for like one or two days before she left and then while she was at Florida. So this was like a five-day thing. And then late while she was gone, Bob and I went to see Guns N' Roses on their once-in-a-lifetime uh, or never-in-a-lifetime comeback tour when Axl Rose and Slash made up and they got back together. Uh, So I got to see Guns N' Roses, and she was like, oh, my mom loved Guns N' Roses. She loved Axl Rose uh, and all this stuff, and so that's how we got talking, and we became friends uh, really quickly because we vibed, and uh, (laughs) I don't know if it was our first date or not. I don't think it was was a date, but the first time, yeah, it had to be our first date. She came over to my house, and we watched Dirty Dancing, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. At the time, it was my favorite, and So that was our first date. I'm trying to think of how it went. But later on, and that was in June, right? This was like late June. Um, And sometime in between late June, so like June, somewhere between June 26th of 2016 and July 3rd of 2016, we went for a drive. And we went to skyline drive right and she always picked me up she always drove because she loved to drive and she we were driving through skyline drive the national park uh where you go in front royal and we got to the tree which is my favorite tree which is the dead one it's like the devil's lookout i think or something like that devil's anus no that's from that's from thor devil's lookout there's like this dead tree there that's like ancient and this picture which is still on my instagram i'm pretty sure uh, no, I might've taken it down. And then I later recreated without her years later when I was depressed is her car's parked to my l- left, to my right is the like w- foot and a half stone barrier between you and death. Um, and then her standing in front of me looking out, uh, onto the horizon into the mountains. Right. Cause I mean, it's a road on, on mountains. Um, She's wearing shorts and this top. The point point of the story is um, the song that she played for me that day, she played a bunch of Dave songs. The one that I remember was Granny. The song is called Granny, and actually, I got this one. It's back. And Granny, the lyrics go – I'm trying to think of where to cut it out. If I sang it, I would know, but I don't want to sing for you guys. But essentially, it's – I'll I'll put my faith in the next good thing to come my way. And he says, the next pretty girl to come my way. And then essentially, uh, I put my faith in the next good thing to come my way. Um, And so that is the caption I used for that photo of her is because she was the next good thing to come my way. And then the hashtag was life rocks because this car was in front of us uh, on Skyline Drive and their license plate was uh, it was L-Y-F-R-O-X-X Life Rocks and so it says the next good thing to come my way Life Rocks hashtag Life Rocks and that was the first song that she ever played for me that I remember is Granny um, and after that so on the on July 3rd there was this uh, this fast forwarding a little bit she played some other songs for me in between then and I'll get back to those Um, the next that I remember that I want to talk about is July 3rd of 2016. And there was this Independence Day celebration in Sharpsburg, Maryland, right? So outside of Shepherdstown. And my mom wouldn't let me go for some reason, even though I was uh, a college senior. Um, and she just didn't want to give me the money. She didn't want me to go by myself. She didn't want me to drive that far. Then I went to school there. Uh, So I couldn't go and I was upset. I was like major butthurt, right? Um, like I was I was super upset and I told Ivy and, and she was like, well, what's wrong? And I was like, man, like I wanted to go to this Independence Day celebration and it's in Sharpsburg and I don't have anyone to go with and I don't have the money to just go by myself or the permission to go by myself. And she didn't want to go, um, but she was like, hey, uh, come outside. I said, what? She said, come outside. And I opened my front door, and she's out there. Like, she's parked out front. I told my mom, hey, Ivy's here, which, sorry. It, I haven't said that in a while. Um, I haven't said those those two words in a while. And it just, it sounded weird coming out of my mouth. But I told my mom, I said, Ivy's here. And she said, okay, whatever. And so I got in the car, and Ivy was like, I'm going to play you a song, and I want you to listen to it, and I want you to listen Intently and take it to heart, and she played Pig. And Pig is a very significant song. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to a lot of people. And the part that she was getting at is uh, don't throw the day away, right? He says, uh, there's different versions. He says, the original version was don't burn the pig. Uh, then uh, don't throw the day away. Don't burn the day away. Um I forget what version she played for me, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was essentially don't throw the day away. And it was the song is about not letting these little things tear you apart when there are such bigger things in life that you can enjoy and bigger things in life that you should worry about. Uh, there are just bigger things, right? There's always bigger things. To be happy for and to be sad for, there are bigger things. And don't burn the day away. And she said, don't let this get to you don't let this little thing spoil a day. Don't let, the, don't let those few seconds spoil an entire day. And we ended up having a great day, and she played Pig for me. And then she also played Cornbread for me that night. Uh, the first, And she explained to me what Cornbread is about, which I can't say on a podcast, even if I've cussed already. It's that graphic. Um, and so the three songs she played was Pig. Uh, cornbread, and then on the way home, down 81, coming from Kernstown, um, she played Ants, and that was the first time I ever sang in front of her. And we sang Ants together, because everyone knows the words to Ants. And I, I didn't throw the day away. I didn't burn the day away, and it, it was a good memory. And so, let's see, Granny, and Pig, and Cornbread, and Ants, and then another one that I'm going to speak on uh, in terms of Ivy before I move on um, is the song that made me realize I loved Dave Matthews. And I, I can't remember exactly how this, how this came to be. I don't know if this was it had to have been before we went to see her her dad's uh, parents, her grandparents down on the Shenandoah River. And we were driving uh, from Double Tollgate, so we went to Double Tollgate and then instead of going south to Front Royal or uh, west to Stephen City or north back to Winchester, we went east um, towards White Post and Clark County. I think it was east. Yeah, uh, we went east towards White Post and Clark County, and we ended up in White Post, essentially, which is on your way to uh, Berryville um, and out near Route 50 is where her family lived. And she was like, well, I'm going to play the song for you. It's a Dave song, and I, I think you'll like it. Um, it's, it's one that she said it was the one that got her mom into Dave Matthews. And she played uh, Dancing Nancys. But the version that she played was the Dancing Nancys from the Central Park concert from 2003. And the intro, I'll see if I can remember like I Like I said, some songs, in order to get to lyrics, I have to remember them but this one I think is is pretty deep in my mind. He says, bartender please, I know it's late, I know last call is coming on, uh, but can you hook me up with one more drink, one more uh, long, long drink, Uh, come on, hook me up. Uh, Bartender please, won't you? I wasn't planning on getting drunk tonight, but it feels like the right decision tonight luck would have it, so hook me up, um, lock the doors, start counting the money if you need to, but come on, come on, come on, come on, hook me up, hook me up, hook me up. Um, I was wondering, could I have been, and then he goes into the song. Um, and that's the intro from, of course, he does it, it's longer and it's more musical and, and all that stuff, but I just remember the intro is, he's, he's pleading with the bartender at closing time, to serve him a drink, uh, even. And he's like, you know, lock the door, start counting the money if you need to, but I need this drink. And I was wondering, I was just wondering, I was wondering if I might have been somebody other than myself. Could I have been someone other than myself? And that's what the song is about, is essentially when he, I guess he was 23 when he wrote it, because he says, 23 and so tired of life. And that's how I felt at that time. Um, And could I have been anyone other than me? Could I have been a parking lot attendant? Could I have been a millionaire on Fifth Avenue? Could I have been, you know, a mistake? Uh, could I have been anyone other than me? And um, <laughs> I just, that is the song, that is the song, and that is the, the specific version of that song that made me fall in love with Dave Matthews just as I had fallen in love with her. It's just, a, it, all it took was a moment, you know? And it's funny, there's a Dave song, uh, so damn lucky and he says amazing what a minute can do uh <laughs> and that's that's true right like in life it's it's truly amazing what a minute can do and and all it took was one moment uh you know for me to fall for her and that was when she said I'm outside that get in the car attitude um and you know I found that in in another I think and I found that in others um occasionally but that was the moment that I felt for her. And the moment I fell for Dave was at the intersection of route 50 and white post, uh, where she played the central park concert version of dancing Nancy's with the bartender opener. And I just felt, I was like, wow, this, this music is for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm closing in on, it's an hour and 50 minutes right now for this whole thing. So I'll probably wrap it up. Uh, because, uh, I mean, that's pretty much that's pretty much my whole story with Ivy and Dave uh, in terms of a <laughs> positive story. The next things I, I would talk about, uh, which I'll, I'll put into a second episode, um, are going to be uh, our shows that we went to together. So my first Dave Matthews concert uh, and the experiences that we shared at Dave's shows. Um, and then I'll also talk about uh, obviously, breaking up with Ivy, losing Ivy, uh, and my experience with Dave Matthews post-Ivy, and then Dave Matthews post-my father, uh, which is terrible to say, but true, and then Dave Matthews now and, and why I love him. And that probably won't be as long, but who knows. But just to close out, uh, just to, to bookend this, to put a cap on this, um, Dave Matthews has been a part of my life for a long time, right? Like I said, Dave Matthews has been in my life, I'm 26 years old, at least two decades, right? Two decades because I can't remember anything before that, and they've been touring, they've been together for 30 years. Um, And, you know, a lot of people say that, or used to think, or probably still think, you know, Lance clings to Dave because he's clinging to Ivy. And that was true for a while. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Um, I'm better than that now I've healed you know I've recovered I'll never be the same because um, you can't unring a bell or you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, I'll never be the same person that I was but I'm certainly a better person and a, a part of me did cling to his music to cling to her I've admitted that uh, just look at my Instagram I've admitted that plenty of times but Dave was a part of my life for a long time. It just he didn't have such a grip on my life that he did. Um, until recently, just because I, I needed, I needed someone to, to speak when I couldn't, because I was so caught up in in my depression and in my anxiety and in this this mourning and this sorrow and just this the pain of existence and just not wanting to be alive. And I was so caught up in the negativity that I I couldn't get my voice. I was like I was drowning or I had been just hit in the chest by life repeatedly to the point where I couldn't draw a breath, and so Dave spoke for me when I couldn't speak. That's why Dave became important to me, not because of her. I mean, sure, she introduced me to a lot of his music and introduced me to this culture, but the reason that Dave became important to me was after her, when I couldn't speak and he spoke for me. Um... But again, you know, like I said, like his music was there with me through my childhood, through high school, through college, and then you know at the beginning, I, in my story, I'm in 2000, I'm in July of 2016, um, and that's when he started to play a, a part in my life. Was because I heard once, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna say just one song. I heard a note, a series of songs that I loved and that I connect to powerful memories. But the reason I fell in love with Dave and fell in love with the Dave Matthews band was because of the version of Dancing Nancys. And that song still... I haven't listened to that version in a long time because I don't want to go back to that headspace. I don't want to be that person again. But that song still means a lot to me. And I listened to that song. Other versions, obviously. Um. And it's true, you know. Could I have been anyone other than me? I ask myself that all the time. Could I have been a parking lot attendant? Could I have been a millionaire on Fifth Avenue? Could I have been a magnet for money? Could I have been someone's sister? Could I have been a mistake? You know, could I have been a dancing Nancy? Uh, and I, you know, I look up at the sky. Um, so, I hope that everyone enjoyed this, Alex. I hope that you enjoyed this. So far, I know that the next episode is probably going to be more enjoyable uh, for a lot of people (laughs) because it's going to be even more personal and it's going to be more recent. Um, But, you know, I I don't think that they'll ever listen or ever hear this. But if they do, I do want to extend gratitude to a few people. Obviously, the Dave Matthews Band. I want to extend gratitude to the Dave Matthews Band, uh, specifically David John. Um, You know, Dave, I owe you a lot. Um, and of course, <laughs> of course, Tim and Carter and Stefan and Rashawn and Jeff and Buddy. Um, I, I thank Leroy whenever I go to his grave. Um, you know, I also want to thank uh, you know, I mean, my parents for introducing me to good music, um, Wink FM and Barry Lee for playing those songs at the right time every Friday evening. Um, I want to thank. Every girl, every woman that I've ever dated for somehow giving me a chance and, and caring about me and making me feel like I'm, I'm worthy of something, you know? Um, and I want to I want to thank Ivy, you know? I mean, and I'll thank her again, but I know she probably won't listen to this. There's probably a greater likelihood that Dave Matthews hears this than Ivy does. Um, but, you know, and I know that she's had <laughs> negative feelings about me assuming a love for Dave Matthews and and how she thinks I've sort of assimilated that from her, um, or what, what gentr- I don't want to say uh, gentrified it, but assimilated is probably the best word, uh, copied or assimilated that from her. And as I've alluded to, you know, there was a connection there, obviously. Um, but I, I do want to thank her for introducing me to this culture, to this life. Um, she's the one that stole me away, right? On she's the one who stole me away on 55th and 3rd. And I, I'll always owe her for that. Um, And I, I want to thank my friends and, and, and family, and I want to thank, you know, specifically some some special friends from law school and, and from Shepherd Debate and, and whatnot who have been with this journey and have put up with my Dave Matthews behavior. <laughs> um, And, you know, before I go, I, I do want to, uh, just because I, I feel like they're listening... Uh, the Chesterfield uh, Public Defender's Office. I want to thank them uh, for listening and for still liking me after hearing this. And I want to thank Amel for, if she's listening, uh, for a great day the other day and, and just for being in my life. So this has been another episode of Late Nights with Lance. It's been a long one. I apologize. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully you guys uh, stay tuned for the next week. But um, again, this has been the story of the Dave Matthews Band all the way up to July of 2016. Thanks for tuning in. I love you all dearly. Alex, I love you so much. Um, and I'm your host, Lance Gunner-Wines, and this is Late Nights with Lance.